Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, coming at ya from sunny Boulder, Colorado. Very excited to introduce you to a new rising star in the world of life inspiration. Sam Grace is still relatively young. She's in her early 30s, but she's been through a traumatic life-changing experience that most of us don't know anything about. When she was 25, she discovered that her kidneys were failing while she was pregnant with her son. So Sam persevered, obviously. She's here with us today. Um, Even after being told to terminate her pregnancy and came out the other side with a beautiful baby son and improved numbers, but still in danger of kidney failure someday. And she's going to tell her story. Um, I think you'll be very inspired by Sam's story, but more than that, uh, I definitely came away with a new gratitude of some aspects of life that we don't often pause to appreciate. I met Sam when she came into Skirt Sports about a year ago and was, oh, just excited about the clothing and her uh, running. She was improving in her running career and had some momentum. And so I got to know her in a different way and only later came to understand how she had gotten to where she is and why she live with such love and gratitude for the world. Um, We did have her at Skirt Sports to do one of our 10-minute test talks at our monthly Women Run the World events, and she really blew everyone away, had never done any kind of public speaking before, and I definitely think that could also be a career track for her. So with that, let's bring her on. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad to have you here today. Welcome to Thank Run you. This World. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming over too and making the big trek. It wasn't you, that bad. Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Because, you know, I feel like we're here in Boulder and we're looking at a little backyard in South Boulder and I think about Denver and it feels like a different state. Well, Boulder kind of feels like a different state <laughs> to me too. So, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So awesome. So we're, we're talking about first today. This is your first podcast. It is my first podcast. And you had another first with me recently. What was that? I did a talk in January for you. And it was it was really my first time telling my story in public. Uh, so how did what? So tell me about it. What do you think? How do you think it went? See, everybody listening already knows because they've already checked it out. Yeah. And they're listening to it or they're stopping right now so they can go listen to it and get a little sense for you. But it was at our Women Run the World um, event that we do once a month. And we bring in people who have a really cool message to share. So we ask you to speak about a word. What was your word? My word was enough. And I was terrified to do it. I was terrified to come in. I almost called you four times to cancel or to tell you I couldn't do it that night. And let's put it off. Um, And then I had been on a run. And it just came to me. And the whole thing came together. And I was a lot more confident going in. But that night I was still shaking. I was so scared. It was 
all that adrenaline. And then as soon as I started talking and saw all these women just nodding their heads and, and hearing me and kind of meeting me where I was at, I just felt so empowered. And the feedback I got right after and then even today and yesterday, people wrote, were emailing me and saying, I just saw this and it's amazing and you're incredible and how inspiring that was. And so it really felt like a big step for me to get over that fear. And I, I was really excited to do something similar again. Well, I think the, you know, we're about to dig into your story here and you have a great story and you haven't maybe had a lot of distance from your story's path to actually be able to tell it because you've been living your story right. for many years. So I say we dig in. All right. Let's, let's, uh, first of all, let's just give people the big overview. So why are you sitting here? You know, I think that nine years ago when I was pregnant and my kidneys failed, I would never be able to say, oh, in nine years, I'm going to be sitting and doing a podcast talking about my story. But because of the decisions I made, because of the the drive to be better and to get better and to better myself every day, I think that's why you and I eventually got to meet and I got to tell you my story. And you're so encouraging of people that all of that got me here. Well, let's dig in. Okay. So there's a concept a lot of people have, which is, what is it? Before, there's the before and after syndrome, right? It can be before marriage. It can be before whatever. You have a before story. So what's your before stand for? Before for me would be before pregnancy, before kidney failure, before I was kind of forced to grow up and be responsible not only for myself, but also for my son. And so it seems like a completely different life for me. So where 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 were you? When was the before? I, I had just graduated from college and I didn't really, I had a real job. I was working for a pediatric office, but I was kind of putzing around and not taking it very seriously. So I'd call in sick because of powder flu and go skiing and come home and go out with friends until two in the morning and roll into work a few minutes late. And I, I just was having a lot of fun and not worrying about what my future was too much or responsibility. I was still pretty immature as far as that goes. Well, most people are when they're, what, 22, 23 years yeah. old. I mean, the fact that you even had a job is impressive. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> were you an athlete at that time in your life? Yes. So I was definitely a runner. <laughs> and um, I mean, I was really proud of myself sometimes because I would get off the slopes and drive home and then be like, well, I still have to go run today. And so I considered myself an athlete. I've always really been athletic and swimming or cross country. I was a cheerleader in high school. Um, and so it was just still part of who I was and how I defined myself. So were you, did you grow up in Colorado? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So you're a mountain girl. I am. So when did you first realize that something was wrong? Pretty shortly after I got pregnant, I had planned to have a home birth. And so I called a midwife and had interviewed her, fell in love with her. And um, probably my first appointment, she asked me how far, how many miles every week I was running. And I, it was a lot at that point. And so she was concerned because my blood pressure was high. And she said, are you nervous? You know, this is a lot. You're under a lot of stress you're probably just really stressed out. Let's let's have you come back next week. We'll check your blood pressure again. So I think the second time I came and saw her, my blood pressure was still elevated. 
we did a urine test at her house and it came back with protein and something else I can't remember. So at first she thought maybe I just had a urinary tract infection, mm-hmm. um, but we ordered blood tests from there. As soon as the blood test came back, my creatinine, which is kind of a level of toxins in your bloodstream was twice what it should be. And I immediately got risked out of having a home birth from there. Okay, so so okay, so you're pretty young. I mean, is this calm? How old were you when you were first had these symptoms? Um, when I was pregnant, I was 25. Okay, and so I was pretty young to be having any symptoms of high blood pressure, um, and I was very early in my pregnancy, so we knew it wasn't necessarily pregnancy related. Right, and so and it couldn't have been like super high stress. You were still just having fun in life or (laughs) I mean at that point I was pretty stressed because all of a sudden Mm. I went from you know carefree no responsibility not too worried about money to oh my goodness I'm gonna have a baby soon and I live in a one-bedroom apartment and I am not in a relationship and there was a lot that was kind of falling down on me at that point but it still wasn't that shouldn't be enough to raise my blood pressure to 160 over 100 as a constant and to put protein in my urine no no amount of stress can do that so did they immediately know well you've got a kidney disorder or something no i had to do first i went to urgent care or something thinking i just had a um, a urinary tract infection they they looked at the blood tests and said no you need to see a nephrologist which is a kidney specialist Um, It took a little while to get into a kidney specialist. So from there I got, I saw a regular doctor who unfortunately took a few more tests and called me over the phone and told me I had something I didn't have. But I got on Google and then I'm pregnant and I just lost it because I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to die tomorrow. Like what was the... He told me I had polycystic kidney disease, which was irresponsible of him to tell me because he hadn't ever done an ultrasound of my kidneys or anything like that. He just saw the amount of protein that was spilling into my urine and made an assumption, which was incorrect. Wow. Okay. So, so how did you, but at that point you're moving forward, like, wow, I have this disease and I'm pregnant. Once. Yeah. What happened next? Once I got Um, I had to see a perinatologist, which is a doctor who specializes in high-risk pregnancy. And I got to him from a GP who told me to terminate my pregnancy. He said that there was no way that I was going to survive. My kidneys were going to shut down before I was able to carry a child. And so he was like, you have to terminate the pregnancy. You're putting too much pressure on your kidneys. That's the only way you're going to survive, not to mention this this. I think he called it a fetus because he wasn't going to call a baby that we're talking about terminating right. a baby. And how seriously did you uh, consider that option? I I didn't. I I mean, b- between my faith and just what I knew was right and just the sense that I knew that my son was going to be okay, I didn't know if I was going to be okay, but I had such a peace that he was so it was just this purpose you know I have this baby I need to take care of him I don't think I knew it was a boy at that point but I just was like nope I'm having the baby find me a different doctor wow and that takes a lot of resolve someone as someone really young and you didn't have uh, a partner in in a relationship to help you did you have any other support during this time I had surprisingly I had so many 
friends come around me and just people who I didn't even necessarily expect to walk with me through that, you know, people from church who I thought would maybe be a little bit judgmental um, were the first Mm. ones to step in and say, what can I do to help you? I'm excited for you. You know, I'm excited for this, this process with you. Let's move forward. That's amazing. So you, um, okay. So then you've decided I'm having the baby. And my body is doing wacky stuff. And then did you finally get it diagnosed during your pregnancy? There was a lot of testing we couldn't do during Mm. my pregnancy. We did end up doing kidney biopsies, but we couldn't do an entire workup because that includes chest x-rays and MRIs. And I was being very protective of my son. And so I think after the kidney biopsies, we found that my kidneys were pretty much already, I mean, they were failing significantly. They were failing fast. There's all these tiny little tubes that help filter um, toxins out of your blood. And all of, most of those tubes were scarred and just completely scarred up so that they couldn't filter anything else. My kidney function went from about half of what it was supposed to be when we first found that there was a problem to when I was when I delivered my son I think it was at like 20 percent 25 percent and just one kidney had the issue no both so usually when kidneys fail because of an illness they fail in tandem so a lot of people who talk about organ donation are like well if um, I'm going to keep both of my kidneys because if I ever get sick, I need both of them. But what doctors will say is that if you ever get sick and it's your kidneys that are sick, both of your kidneys are going to fail. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So we're going to dig into that in a minute because that is, I didn't know about that. So you're, um, you have your baby. Yes. And you had your baby at the hospital, not a home right. birth. Right, and, and, and even when I went to the hospital and had like three pages of this is how my, my birth situation. You had a birth plan? Oh, I did. And it was ter- <laughs> it was terrible because it did not go my way at all. I love that. <laughs> I love that because I also had, you know, somewhat of a birth plan. And I remember talking to um, like a birthing nurse and she was like, oh, the minute you write it down on paper, it's the kiss of death. It's not going to go the way you want it to Yeah, go. that's exactly, mine did not go. I mean, at, at the end, I had a very healthy baby. I was I was relatively healthy, not including my kidneys. So um, that was really all that mattered. But it was, yeah, I should have just shredded it walking in the door. So, yeah. <laughs> well, here's here's a big thing. You learn about how much you think you control before you, you have a baby. <laughs> right. And then during the process, everything hits the fan. Right. And then you have a little child running around and you realize how little control you have over that little person too. (laughs) Totally. So this is all about control today (laughs) then. (laughs) So, um, so, okay. So then you go home from the hospital, right? Yeah. And you were able to be released and healthy enough to go home with a newborn? He was born a little bit early. So he was born very early, about 33 weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. Fortunately, I had steroid shots during my pregnancy to prepare his lungs for his early birth. Um, My doctor, my perinatologist, Basically, we started doing blood tests on me every two or three days and ultrasounds on him once a week to see how he was growing. He was gestationally small because he wasn't getting the nutrients from my body that he needed. My body was working really hard just to keep me alive. And so it was really hard to support a pregnancy. So 
he was four pounds, eight ounces. Oh, wow. He was just this tiny little, I, I tell him now he was the size of a big baked potato, which is a bit of an exaggeration. I but love the fruit and yeah. veggies. <laughs> I'm like, Why you're not? a big baked potato. <laughs> um, but because he was breathing on his own and um, could basically regulate his temperature okay, they sent him home three days later. And I'm so glad now that I didn't realize how tiny he was. Because now I see little babies and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the smallest baby I've ever seen. And they're like, yeah, she's seven pounds. And then I think my baby was way littler. Um, So just that protection that I didn't realize how little he was so that I was okay to go home and do life with him without being too scared that he was so little. Well, you know, you don't, you get what you get, right? Right. I mean, my little girl was a six pounder flat yeah right six flat and um I look at tiny babies too and it freaks me out like right. I don't even want to hold them now I'm far enough away five years out that it I don't even want to hold them because I'm afraid I'm going to screw up but right. when it's your baby you're like flipping it around yeah. <laughs> and you're not worried and you're upside down over your shoulder you know whatever yeah well I figured if he survived the birthing process which looks like it's pretty traumatic you know they're getting squeezed out totally. of something small like they're going to be okay they can handle that is a great point <laughs> So we shouldn't be afraid to handle those right. tiny babies. But um, so that's pretty amazing. Did you feel like you had lost a lot of your own strength? What was hard for me during pregnancy is people would ask me how I was feeling. And I didn't know what was kidney failure and what was pregnancy symptoms. Uh. And because I lost a significant amount of kidney function during my pregnancy, I didn't realize how week I was until after I had my son and I tried to go on a walk and it was just a pretty easy hike maybe um about a week after I had him and it was that was overzealous that was a little bit too much for me and I remember because I was walking with somebody and I for some reason didn't want to tell them that I didn't feel good I just was like don't pass out don't pass out and that's terrible like why wouldn't I say hey don't feel good let's sit down for a minute yeah so this is uh, speaking to your resilience and your stubbornness and right. all the things that probably help you get through this next chapter here. It's funny, um, my mind doesn't work the same way, and I'm not sure if it's because I had a baby when I turned 40 or because I turned 40. Okay. <laughs> so it's the same same thing. Okay. <laughs> but hopefully your mind works better. Yeah, let's right. just say it works okay. better now. It works better. All right, so... So here you are, a new mom. You don't know what you're doing. It's just you and this new little baby. How did the first few months go? I did have a lot of help. So my son's dad really got on board when my son was born. It was like he became a dad when my son was born. And so I had a lot of help from him. Um, you know, I could drop him off for a couple of hours and really kind of feel like myself and could take a shower and get a little bit of sleep and then get my son back. And so that really helped me. I had a lot of support from that. And my kidney function actually stabilized a little bit after I had my son. So for the first year or so after, it was almost like this honeymoon period where I thought, oh, I mean, maybe I'm not 100% healthy and I'm not going to have a huge mm. amount of energy for the rest of my life, but I don't have to think about being sick or transplant or anything else for 10, 15 years. And at that point, that sounded like so long, you know, another lifetime, and I'll think about being a sick person, but right now I'm okay. And that's so interesting. Uh, it, first of all, I think it's really cool that 
uh, your son's, so your son's name is? His name is Brody. So Brody's dad got, got on board, right? right? And I think that happens to a lot of people. In fact, I also think, as strange as it sounds, that sometimes it even happens to women. And there's some women listening, like your body is going through this thing. And sometimes I've heard women say they don't even really feel attached to what's happening to them until the baby comes out and something changes. I don't think I don't remember feeling as protective of Brody. I mean, I think it's hard because it's more of a concept even when you're pregnant. But as soon as he was mine and he was out, it was like mama bear. Yeah, so, I totally. mean, people would come in and be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm I'm so in love." And I'm like, "Wash your hands. Don't don't oh, yeah. kiss my baby. <laughs> like get away from him." And they'd look at me like I was crazy, but you're like, "You just sniffled out. <laughs> you're out. You're banned." <laughs> Um, I have calmed down a little bit. Well, so. it takes time, but it has been a few years yes. now. <laughs> um, so, but there were still days and nights where you were you slept alone, and maybe you weren't sure what was going to happen that night. I mean, what did you have set up? When I got more sick, so for about a year, maybe a year and a half, I felt really good, and I was doing monthly blood tests just to monitor things. And then all of a sudden, my creatinine went from 3.5 to 5. Wow. And then it went from 5, and the next month it was 7, and then the next month it was 9. And it was like all of a sudden, things were not going very well. And I started, there were days where I was just dragging, and I felt like I had the flu, and I had no energy, and I would be really scared, and my ankles would be really swollen, and I couldn't breathe, and there's all of these symptoms happening. And so I, I started to get the sense, you know, this, this isn't, this isn't going my way. I'm, I'm going to die. And I didn't know when that was going to be because you don't know how sick, how much your body can handle of, of kidney failure and that, and when your kidneys are failing, it puts pressure on all of the other organs, including your heart, most especially your heart. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to have some cardiac event and my little one is going to be home by himself and mama's not going to wake up. And so I think what really happened was that I slept through work one morning and I am always on time. I'm a morning person. And so my friends kind of, one of my friends that works with me kind of freaked out and showed up at my house and was like, we're putting something in place because this can't happen. And so we basically said, you know, every morning at six, somebody, and it was kind of a rotation of a few friends is going to text you and say good morning or I would text them if I woke up because sometimes I would already be awake and just say hey good morning hope things are good but that text or those phone calls was just it was they're checking in on me to make sure that I was still alive because if I wasn't then they needed to come get Brody and make sure you know that he was going to get to his dad and take care of him and and really like my whole plan was that hopefully since he likes to sleep in and has since he was an infant that he wouldn't ever have that horrific traumatic event of waking up and not Finding having you. yeah yeah oh my gosh it's just so extreme like i'm sure everyone listening is sitting there thinking what if you know you had to have a support network that if you didn't text them they were coming over to pick up your son Thank God that didn't happen. Right. It's hard for me to talk about. Like, that's one of the hardest things because, I mean, I I just, I love my son so much. So thinking about what would happen to him if I wasn't here is hard. Did you, I think I remember you saying that you wrote some letters and, and. I did. Yeah. I started writing letters to him because 
for a long time, I didn't have a lot of hope. I didn't think that I, I was so sure that I wasn't going to make it that I called my pastor and started um, asking him to help me plan a funeral. And so that's how little hope I had that things were going to turn around and go my way. And so I started writing my son letters and some of them were just, I love you so much and I think the world of you. And if if there's some way for me to wrap my arms around you from heaven, I'm going to and and I love you. And then some of them are trying to teach him or instill in him lessons. And then his dad is remarried. So some of them are like, I really like who he picked as a wife and she's a really good mom. And, and I think she's a really good mom to you. So I don't want you to resent her. And Oh my God. I feel like <laughs> this um, is, takes a lot of perspective. I mean, you had to be in a real serious headspace to write these things how did you even get the words out sometimes I would just sit there and cry and then sometimes I would realize that you know from maybe him at 18 reading these letters maybe that would help him you know Mm -hmm. because I work I I work with a lot of at-risk youth and a lot of them come in and tell me they've lost a parent and how that's affected them and so I wanted to protect him from that as much as I possibly could do you think it would be, um, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but some a good exercise for people to write a letter to the people they love, even if they're not sick? Like, was there some kind of therapy that you got out of that? I think that it puts things in perspective sometimes, almost having that attitude of gratitude because mm. you realize that there's people there's things in your life that you should always feel blessed with and be happy for. And so writing those letters to the most important person in my life just helped me realize, you know, be present with him at that point. And I should still write him letters. I went back recently and started reading through some of them. And I was like, I don't know fully why I stopped doing this because I, I was writing those letters from the perspective of I'm not going to be here anymore, but wouldn't it be really cool for him at 25, even if I'm still here, to read through those and see yes. the life lessons that I wanted him to know and and to share those with his kids one day. Um, I need to write my daughter a letter. I've never written Wilder a letter, yeah, ever. Yeah, you should definitely write her a letter. She would okay. love that. Everyone listening, are you just shaking your head? Like, why haven't I <laughs> written my kid a letter or my husband or my parents or whatever? I mean, we can still put pen to paper. Right. You know, it doesn't have yeah. to be a text. And you it's can such a something. gift to get a letter. I still love getting mail from people. It's one of my favorite things. Not bills, but I love getting, <laughs> you know, mail from friends. So oh. I think it's it's just such a gift for, especially for your kids. Yes. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about transplants because... Clearly, you were your kidneys were failing. You thought you were not going to be here. So what happened? How, were you on a transplant list? How does this work? So once you get to a certain threshold of illness, you can be listed for transplant. So basically, as soon as I met that threshold, I had to go through a transplant evaluation, which includes a psychological evaluation to make sure that you're stable enough to take care of yourself after to make sure that you're not going to get a transplant and then stop taking medications or mm. stop taking care of yourself. And then there's all a whole medical eval that you have to do, chest x-ray, EKGs, all sorts of stuff. And then once you're listed, 
It's a monthly blood test that gets sent to UNOS, who basically decides when there's a, a kidney or an organ available, who it goes to. And okay. so that's based on blood type matching. Okay. And they've recently changed it so it's also a little bit more weighted for people who are younger because um, somebody who is elderly who's on a transplant list um maybe they don't want a 20 year old donor or organ donor to go to an elderly person they want it to go to somebody younger who might have a little bit more life in front of them okay wow it's quite a process so how long could you potentially be on a list in colorado the average wait for a kidney is seven years wow it's too long um do most people not make it most people most people die waiting for an organ in Colorado, which is so hard to say out loud God. because I used to be one of those people who knew that, who was waiting and who knew that. And unfortunately, it's because people choose to, I, I mean, I, I guess maybe just don't think about it. Like they're young, they're healthy, they're having fun. They don't think, well, if I die in an accident or something, I should donate my organs. So they don't tell their their friends and family and then they don't sign a organ card at the DMV and Mm -hmm. they get to the hospital and their family's there and they don't make that decision. And so, okay, let's pause for a moment. If somebody wants to be an organ donor, if they pass away and their organs are still functioning, right? Right. You can be an organ donor. So how do you sign up to do that? So donatelife.net is where people can go and register, but you can also sign up when you're renewing or getting your driver's license. And it's a very, very simple process. I think at the driver's license place, they just ask you yes or no, do you want to or, do you want to be an organ donor? And you can say yes, and they put a little heart on your okay. driver's license. It's still important to tell your family, though, because your family is ultimately the one oh. that could potentially make that decision for okay. you. If you show up at the hospital without your driver's license, there's not, there's not really anybody there that's going to say, well, I see on their driver's license that it says they wanted to be an organ donor. So your family has to know that. Okay. And I think, um, you know, I don't know, everybody has different ethical reasons why they would or wouldn't do that. But I think it's really good that we all remember this, especially at the DMV. And so if you are in a hospital and you've passed away, they can access your record right there. And then they call the list and or the whatever. I don't know how all of it works. Um, I don't know all the details behind it, but I know that donatelife.net actually has a legal document that you can fill out and put all of your information into. And I assume that the hospitals would have access to that. I mean, they have to, because it's got to be done really quick, Right. you know? Okay. So is that how you got your kidney? No, I, I started dialysis, which was not going well for me. So the average dialysis patient lives about 36 months and the average wait for a kidney is seven years. So Um, you're always on the wrong side of time with that. And on top of that, dialysis just wasn't going well. I mean, I was getting progressively more sick. I started dialysis when my creatinine levels were a lot higher than most people because my otherwise healthy body was compensating a lot more than other people's was. And so I, I called my pastor and said, we need to plan a funeral. He asked if he could feature my story at church. And through that, a lot of people called the hospital that I was listed wow. through and said, I, w- I want to get tested. I want to give this girl a kidney. And some of these people didn't know who I was. They just saw a, a story about me and Brody. 
And one of my friends called me about six months after I started dialysis and said, I went and got tested. I've been praying about this. I'm a match. Let's schedule surgery. So in so both kidneys were failing, but you can get one new kidney and be healthy and live for the rest of your life with that one healthy kidney. So both kidneys were failing yep. and they my friend Christina gave me one of her kidneys wow. and they transplant it into me. They don't take the kidneys out, so I really have three kidneys. And Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um it's like a circus show. <laughs> um <laughs> I, I hope that I can live the rest of my life. There's a lot of risk. I'm on immunosuppressant drugs that bring down my immune system so that my body doesn't reject my kidney. Got it. Mm-hmm. My risk of rejection is very, very low. I'm four and a half years post-transplant, so that rejection should not happen. Um, there's always a chance that that I won't that that kidney won't last as long as I want it to, and I sometimes get very anxious about it I try to let it go a little bit but there's I mean if if you talk to my friends that hang out with me a lot I'll be like my hands are swollen something's wrong (laughs) (laughs) um and sometimes Hmm. it's it's an easy infection and sometimes my doctor's like nope you're good go home so So. how is your relationship with your friend who donated the kidney she and I text a lot We, we talk sometimes she moved to Texas pretty shortly after she did the surgery with me so unfortunately we don't get to see each other as often as I would like she was here over Christmas and I got to meet her one-year-old and Mm. I basically have said he's he's my nephew because I share part of her yeah like I mean I don't we share blood and tissue so he's my nephew there you go yeah I agree (laughs) I think so I mean the bond is I think hard to articulate it is and it's also hard because people expect us to talk every day or be best friends forever. And she's a friend of mine and she gave me this gift that I'm never going to be able to repay. But there's also this part where where we weren't best friends before. So it would be hard for us to be best friends now. Yeah. yeah. But I love her dearly. And there's there's such a special place in my heart for her. How does somebody become a living donor then? Um, if they know somebody who is sick and they want to get tested, they contact that particular hospital who's in charge of that person's case. And they have to do a psych eval and the medical workup. Mm-hmm. They have to be basically more healthy than the general population because what those doctors are looking for is any chance that any risk factor that their kidney would eventually fail. And I mean, high blood pressure, diabetes, anything is going to risk them out of that. And then there's blood tests and chest x-rays and all sorts of things to make sure that they're healthy. And if they are a match, it's basically kind of a green light from there as long as they don't back out. And they can back out no pressure until, I don't know, you're in the operating room. Wow. So I think this is an important thing because some people I think have feel a calling to help in sometimes to anonymous people you know and in ways that again it's hard to articulate and so if you feel like you're called to help someone keep living then this I think is a really interesting path to at least explore and do some research in I've seen stories on the news of people who just felt like 
I'm healthy, I have two healthy kidneys, I'll give one away and have given a kidney to somebody they didn't even know, just called the transplant center and said, do you have anybody in need that will match me? Mm-hmm. And that actually, that saves multiple lives because not only are they saving one person's life, but they're taking somebody off the organ donation wait list. Yep. And so it saves maybe that next person that was waiting as well. Yeah, and that's huge. And it kind of goes back to your point of having an attitude of gratitude. Right. You can only be at a certain point in your life where you're like, I want to do this. <laughs> yeah. You know? Absolutely. Gosh. So you, I think, have had enough distance now to look at the you before and the you after. How are you different? How do you see the world differently? I mean, I'm a mom first. And so my life, my purpose revolves around how how best to keep my son healthy and happy and hopefully eventually a productive member of society. But also I have that perspective of almost dying and then now being pretty healthy. And so that changes everything. And I also went from being kind of a pretty young partying kid to somebody in their 30s who wants to be responsible and wants to be stable and be in bed at 830 at night because that's who I am. (laughs) (laughs) And you can own it and you don't have to be embarrassed. No, I'm not. (laughs) You know, what we didn't talk about was how we talked about how running was a part of your life before. Right. But how was it a part of your life during and after? I could not run during dialysis or, you know, when I was very sick while I was pregnant with my son or um, before I started dialysis. There was there was not enough energy left over. If I had enough energy, it was to take my son to the park, which I tried to do a lot. Those spurts of energy I would get, I was like, okay, let's go. But there wasn't anything left from that. And oftentimes I would come home and be so tired at the end of the day that he would get to watch movies, which I don't like now. Okay, so like almost like a guilt thing. Yeah. Like I'm plopping him down, but you couldn't right. do anything else. Right. And so I, I try to give myself some grace because that was the best I could do at the time. And at the time, that was okay. Now, that's not okay with me. Mm. Um, but at the time, yeah. that's where I was at. Yeah. And so now you're running though. And that's how I met you because you came into the store and you were just like so excited (laughs) and I had no idea about your background. So I started running again after transplant. I woke up from my kidney transplant and I felt so good. I mean, immediately I could take these deep breaths. My creatinine levels had lowered to a certain point my oxygen levels had my blood oxygen levels had come up to a certain point that for the first time in years I felt like I could breathe and I remember just sitting in ICU and taking these big deep breaths and just being so overwhelmed and happy and then the next day I had an IV pole and I was doing laps around the nurse's Hmm. station and just thinking like I could run a marathon right now which is way overzealous because I'm not sure that I could run a marathon right now but um, but that's what I thought that day and so I started asking my doctor when when can I run I want to be cleared to exercise and he was very patient but he wouldn't budge on that six week he kept saying six weeks you've had major surgery and I was annoying him because I kept asking like three weeks out. I feel great. I walked to the hospital today. (laughs) When can I run? And he was like, you can't, you cannot run. 
And so six weeks post-transplant, I started running again. It was not pretty at first. <laughs> it wasn't. Um, it wasn't everything you had no, hoped it was going to be. <laughs> I mean, even that first day, I remember thinking, I'm just going to go out for three three miles or so. And I made it around the block, which is really nowhere close to even a mile. But I was really excited that I was allowed to move and that I, you know, just to work that hard and get a little bit of sweat and breathe really hard and think, okay, like, we can only go up from there. <laughs> so, yeah. But I wanted to redefine myself as an athlete. I remember being sick and people would, would give me this look of pity and I hated that so much. And I hated the idea that somebody would look at me and, and feel sorry for me. And so one of the things that running did for me was it just helped me take back a little bit of my identity and it helped me just feel like me again and connect with that healthy person I had been before I had my son. And and now I run because it's my time. It's my me time. And it helps me when I've had a bad day at work. I can run it out. I can mentally refocus that's when I feel really smart I have really good ideas Mm. on my runs I know about that and and it's just how I I can push my body and I can push myself and make big goals and sometimes I don't achieve them and then I readjust my big goals but that's that's what kind of gets me up in the morning and gets me excited to to do life Wow, well, we're like running over our 5K here, and I just want to keep going. Um, okay, one other question before we get to the very last one. Okay. Okay, so how, like, if Brody, when he gets older, came to you and said, I want to be a donor, what would you say? Oh my gosh, that's so hard. I would ask a lot of questions. I, I don't know how I could possibly say no, but... I would be really scared because yeah. I want to protect him. I know. Um, there's risk to surgery, and I guess I would want to minimize that risk as much as possible. But how could I possibly ever say no when somebody did the same thing for me? You could. Yeah, or, and he or could, not. Yeah, but, but I I don't think I would. I think yeah. I would. I think I would. If that's what he felt called to do, if that's what he felt was right to do, I would want to put as many protections in place for him and do everything that we could to keep him safe during surgery. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I think I would have to let him. Well, here's the thing. I feel so grateful that you're here with us. I feel feel so grateful to your friend. What's her name? Her name's Christina. Christina. Thank you. Um, I do think you're called to do great things and to continue to share your story out there in the world. And that's why I wanted to get it out today, because I think it gives a lot of people hope. Thank you so much. I mean, this opportunity has been awesome. And just in the last few weeks, getting emails from people just from that story I did at Skirt Sports has been pretty incredible to see the impact that 10 minutes had with with people. It's huge. And you know, not only are you giving, you know, you're having an impact on a greater, on the greater good, but you're bringing up a son who is, has a very strong constitution. I have met him. (laughs) (laughs) He does. And he's gaining that strength from you and your outlook. So as we wrap it up here, I'm going to do the final question that I ask every person I interview, Okay. which is, 
if you have one piece of advice that you want to leave our listeners with, one nugget that will help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? I think people don't realize how strong they are until they're tested. And so one of the reasons I run is because I get to test myself. One of the reasons I make big goals and I'm hard on myself is because I get to test where I'm at. And so I would, if I could give advice to people, I would say, make a goal, make it big and go after it and test yourself, push yourself. Not everybody's going to be tested because of kidney failure or an illness, but we can all test ourselves in some, some small way. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> My gosh. All right. So as we as we hang it up here, if anyone is feeling what? Like they have the flu, back pain, what is it? Oh, for kidney yeah. failure? Um what do they I, need to be go feeling I mean, to I go think, visit the doctor? I think if I mean I, I'm I'm on the other side of this now. I think if people are feeling sick, they should visit the doctor. But but symptoms of kidney failure are usually, you know, swollen ankles if you're not pregnant, swollen hands and weakness like overall fatigue all of the time um bad taste in your mouth because you're not filtering enough of the toxins mm. out insomnia there's so many general symptoms that it's hard to say like just this one lack of urine output is a huge one Got um it. high blood pressure for no other reason things like that all right so you're saving lives and you're giving <laughs> people a bigger picture perspective so Thank you. Thanks Thank for coming you. on the show today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening today. Sam is one of those people who doesn't realize how much she's helping others just by sharing her story. One of my big takeaways is the concept of writing my daughter Wilder a letter. I don't know why I never thought about that. I encourage all of you to take a moment one day to put pen to paper, old school, and write a letter to someone you love sharing all the things you hope for them in life. A lot of us never even think about what we hope for them because we're so caught up in the daily dealings. I also love Sam's final nugget. You don't realize how strong you are until you are tested. That is so true and relevant, especially when we're afraid to start something new or things get tough. You can do a lot more than you think you can. If you're enjoying my podcast, please do me a favor. Go over to iTunes, take a minute to write a review. Reviews help the show gain traction. The podcast world is incredibly crowded and I definitely need support to keep this thing going, which I'm having a blast doing. Also, head over to soundcloud.com and follow my channel. I just joined and I only have 11 followers. <laughs> we need more people to learn about the show. So on that note, thank you for all of your support and encouragement. Many of you have sent me notes or stopped me on the street and just said how much you appreciate the people that I'm interviewing, the messages we're getting out there. I have an incredible lineup of interviews over the next few months. But as always, if you have suggestions, send them my way. Some of the people on my list have come from you. You can email me through my website, nicoledeboom.com. There's a contact page. Um, you can email me if you remember this, nicole.deboom at skirtsports.com. Send me a note. All right, then. That's enough for today. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and we'll see you next week.